Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I love you. I thank you, and I praise you for the gift of children. I thank you for the gift that you have given us to be those entrusted with the stewardship, to be mothers and fathers to our kids. And Lord, we are supposed to reflect you and your life to them. We're supposed to shepherd them in accord with what's in your heart. So Lord, give us the grace to do that, to be in your place as their mothers and fathers. May we shine forth in accord with your glory as their heavenly Father. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Boy, isn't that an amazing thing, that that sense of stewardship, that you as a mother or a father are entrusted with the incredible task. It's hard to overstate the significance that in some ways you are going to be an icon, an image, or a window through which the very presence of our Heavenly Father and His love is going to shine forth on their lives. There's a way in which we, and maybe in a very special way, fathers of children are meant to reflect, reflect something of God's fatherly care for His children. I feel that. I sense that. That is a weighty stewardship. And it's my call to lead and provide and protect my kids. You've heard me say this. So that weighty stewardship that is mine is the stewardship that's been entrusted to me, right, by God himself to be in his place, to be in his place, to to be in the place of God the Father, and in some ways to then be able to shine forth something of God the Father's love through Christ in the gift of the Spirit, right, in our kids' lives. Well, I bring up that, I'm focusing on that a little bit in the prayer and in this opening comment, because we are launched into Catholic Schools Week, and you as parents who are uh, entrusted by God, right, sent by God, you're in God's place, you're God's herald, God's messenger, uh, God's designed instrument in your kids' lives, and, and I don't know, you might, you might even want to let them know that. Look, in heaven, we are brother and sister. Here on earth, I'm your father. And it's my goal to get you to be in heaven together with me, uh, that we would be saints fulfilling our God-given mission. But in heaven, we are brothers and sisters. We come before the one father. And so I realized that, that this role that is mine, it, it changes once I get to heaven. And it, it, this is a beautiful thing to reflect on when you think about the place of schools. You heard a few interviews I did last week where that phrase, in loco parentis, in the place of the parents, in the place of the parents, is the task of entrustment or stewardship that schools receive. And so whether you realize it or not, think about it or not, acknowledge it or not, schools, the educational system where you place your child is meant to work cooperatively, collaboratively, in a way that will help foster what you have as valuable and important as ideals, as goals for your kids' lives. And so in this Catholic Schools Week, it becomes a wonderful moment to pause and say, what do I expect of my educational uh, organization where I'm making a choice? What do I expect from them? What, what, are the, what are the questions I should bring to them as I'm discerning, is this place a good fit for my child? Is this place operating 
in loco parentis. Is this, is this school where my, my child, my children are attending, are they functioning in a way that makes me feel a sense of uh, collaboration, that they're working together with me, they're co-laboring in the things that are important to me? That's a standard, that's an ideal, that's a goal for us to have in mind. All right, I have to say something cutesy from St. Thomas Aquinas in his book De Potentia Dei on the Power of God. He says this, God does not will that you will what he wills. Rather, God wills that you will what he wills you to will. <laughs> It's funny if I say it even faster. God will God does not will that you will what he wills, but rather God wills that you will what he wills you to will. Uh, it's a tongue twister. God does not will, God, it's not God's will for you that you will, that you say yes to his will, to what he is willing, because he what he is willing is infinite. But rather, no, God wills that you will, that you correspond to what he wills for you to will. Now, I love that quote because... He's, we're making the distinction between God who is infinite and has an infinite will for the whole universe, but he's also particular. He uniquely focuses on you as an individual, and he has a purpose and a plan for you as you fulfill the stewardship that is yours in his life. And he has a will for you to will. He has a path for you to take. He has a job for you to do. He has a mission for you to accomplish. And one of the more important things that you're going to do in your life to accomplish that mission is making a decision around where your kids go to school. Whoa, that is a huge statement. But think about it. From the time your kids are how old? Five years old? To the time your kids are 18 years old? They go from kindergarten through 12th grade? Who spends more time with your kids? You or the teachers in your schools? Reality. The teachers in your schools the faculty and staff of those schools are spending more hours, more waking hours in your kids' lives than you are. And not only that, during those hours, they are shaping and molding your kids, not only in the content that they say, but the atmosphere they create and what they permit in the classrooms, in the halls, in the very spirit and ideals that shape and mold the culture of that school. Do you get this? You are letting your child, your son, your daughter, your young man, your young woman, your tween, your teen, your high schooler, go through incredibly important ages and stages of their lives where they are going to be formed fundamentally by the school you put them in. So you better get this right. This is when you want to get right. You want to have a school that is aligned, that is intentional, that is clear about who they are and the path that they are pursuing, the culture that they're attempting to foster and what they do specifically, concretely, to make that happen. And so I've got 10 questions, 10 questions for you to ask your school principal, your faith-based school principal, your Catholic school principal. Uh, and, and not just principal, but we can widen that to staff. That can be not just administrators, but teachers, and even other parents. 
because they are functioning in local parentis. Don't settle for less. Expect more. Okay? So, first question. I got 10 questions. I'm going to get through all 10 of them, I promise you. Number one, how do you name the vision and mission of your Catholic school? How do you name the vision and mission of your school? Now, that's the easiest one, right? On the one hand, most of these schools, they have their vision statement. They have their mission statement, right? So, it's not that big a deal, really, really, this kind of question. So on the one hand, um, this one is I'm, I'm launching out into the deep in a way that's easy. A lot of them will have a sign on the wall that says, Christ is at the center of everything we do here. He's in every conversation. He's the secret member of every, con- you know, that sort of thing. But that's just a statement on the wall. But <clears throat> this is what I'm looking for. I mentioned that we played Court of Christ Catholic Academy in Coeur d'Alene. It's a high school, just opened up this year. They've got like 30 kids, 30 high schoolers, which is amazing. And they, their, um, their name is that they're the saints, right? They're the saints. And I love that. Um, the Court of Christ saints. And that gets at their goal. What's their goal? Their goal is to make saints. The Chesterton Academy, I remember I was uh, working with the founding board before they ever opened, and I said, what's your mission? And one of the board members says, Zizi, make saints. And I'm like, man, you got that dialed in. You got that dialed in. In fact, I have to humbly admit that I was looking for something a little more sophisticated, and, and yet I have to humbly, I have to eat some humble pie and say, he had it right. Let's go make some saints. And then from there, you can talk about how they're accomplishing that. But that's an easy first question, right? So here's the Oaks. So as you know, my kids go to the Oaks Classical Christian Academy. And I just went and I said, well, what's their mission statement? And it's something that the headmaster, uh, his name's Charlie Dowers, he integrates that into so much of what he says when he's speaking publicly in important settings, because it was a thoughtful, thoughtfully put together mission statement. I know because I was part of the process. And it, the, the words are meaningful. So listen to what theirs is. The Oaks exists to partner with parents. Bam, right out of the gate. They see themselves like that. Partnering with parents. Not taking your place and putting you to the sidelines. Not telling you, you know, hey, you stay over there. We got this over here. No, we're partnering with parents who seek to graduate classically educated young men and women. Okay, so that's the goal that they have, classically educated young men and women, who glorify Christ, shape culture, and shine the light of God's truth in every endeavor of life. Now, we went over each of those phrases (laughs) and landed on these as the fitting ones. Glorify Christ, shape culture, and shine the light of God's truth in every endeavor of life. And it was, that's what will happen when the kids who are graduating from this school move into the world, they are going to glorify Christ. They are going to shape culture. They are going to shine the light of God's truth in every endeavor of life. Powerful. It's a powerful statement. But that's, that's the first one. Just ask. See how easily it comes off the lips, how it, it feels like it's connected into, do they just memorize it, or is it something that goes sinking down into the bones and that it's something that shows up in the spirit and ideals of how the school actually lives? Okay, here's the second question. Very important. What percentage of the families sending kids here is Catholic? What percentage of students at this school, 
is Catholic. That's an important number. You want to know that. And, and, and when we say this, I know that we're just talking about self-identification, right? On the one hand, like how many Catholic, how many kids here are self-identifying as Catholic? Because it's a typical thing that in Catholic schools, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, this isn't exceptional. It's a typical thing that around half, around half of the kids are Catholic. Now, sometimes that might even go as high as 60 or 70 percent, but we're talking self-identifying Catholic. But if I had to press a little more deeply into it, it's not just about self-identification. It's about intentionality. Not just about self-identification. It's about intentionality. Here's what I mean by that. Let's see if we can anecdotally name the percentage of the student body that goes to Mass on Sunday. What percentage of the student body comes from a family that goes to Mass on Sunday? Because I got to tell you, the percentage of families that are self-identifying as Catholic and the percentage of families that are attending Mass on Sunday— those are two different numbers. There are many families that will self-identify as Catholic in order to get a discount on the tuition or register with the parish to get a discount on a tuition without ever practicing their faith. How do I know this? Well, before we moved here, we were in, um, we were in a Catholic school a Catholic grade school I'm talking about now. Um, I had a bunch of kiddos there. I think I had five kiddos in this Catholic grade school. And um, we actually had this, and, and the school was packed, hundreds of kids at, the, at this grade school. And we had this um, little contest where when we would go to Mass on Sunday, we would go to the main family Mass, like 10, and, 10 o'clock in the morning, perfect time, right? There was no later Mass than that. If we could see four other school families at that Mass, just four, then we'd go get donuts after Mass. Let's just say we pretty much never got donuts after Mass. The number of families that were going to Mass at a school of several hundred kids representing a couple of hundred families and it was the routine reality that four or less families, maybe five, maybe extraordinary number, we'd have six to ten at most. That was the experience we had. So few families, even those self-identifying as Catholic, were not actually attending Mass as a family on Sunday. Why is that important? I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Catholic Schools Weekend. I am talking with you today. I'm equipping you, parents, as you're discerning what's the right school for my kids. If you're considering a Catholic school or a faith-based school, 
you want to have key questions in mind because these schools are going to be part of how you are judged, how you are held accountable before God in fulfilling the stewardship that is yours as their mom and dad. Whoa, holy cow. I just want my kid to be protected from all the bad stuff happening in public schools. I just want to get my kid to get a great academic education. What are you talking about, Tom? I'm talking about you have a stewardship to make your kid, not to make your kid, to help your child, your son and daughter, become a saint and fulfill their God-given mission, to grow in holiness and to discover and live the vocation that God has planted them on earth for. That's your vocation, ultimately to get them to heaven. That's why God has entrusted his children into your hands for a time. The educational decision you make, the school you put them in, is a critical component in how you are going to accomplish that task. Just before the break, I was talking about the tiny number of families that actually were attending Mass on Sunday, uh, even though they would identify as Catholic and send their kids to the Catholic schools. Why is this important? Well, because today, as you know, it takes a heroic effort to generate an ordinary Catholic. It's a heroic effort that's required. What am I talking about? When we talk about this shift from just self-identifying as Catholic to being intentionally Catholic, we are talking about where you sense your identity, how you take a stand, how you sense who you are in this world. And for our kids, especially our kids in their tween years and in their teen years, you know, from say seventh grade all the way through high school, it's so important to help your kids have a sense of enthusiasm, encouragement, and a sense of flourishing in their faith identity. This is a possibility. This can be real. This is something that you ought to expect and push for and promote in the school where your kids go. So I remember that in what I identified four years ago as the best Catholic high school in uh, the Archdiocese of Seattle, Kennedy Catholic, we had our, I think we had three kids in the school at the time. I remember going to the school mass they would have and the school mass with the whole student body, right? That's like a thousand kids. And the music ministry would sing and it was amazing how quiet a thousand kids could be. And I remember asking my daughter, who has a beautiful voice, I said, why don't you sing? She says, Dad, it's social suicide. It's social suicide to sing at the school mass because no one else is singing. So you have this peer pressure. That's what I'm talking about. You see, the reason why you ask about percentage of Catholic families sending their kids to the Catholic school, the percentage of the student body that's going to mass on Sunday with their families, is because Catholic schools are evangelistic in nature. When I say they're evangelistic in nature, it means that they are open to have anybody come and make application. Come, come and see. We'd love to welcome you here. Now, in welcoming you here, we want you to know that you're being welcomed into a school that is consciously Catholic. And that means that we have the Catholic faith at the basis of how we operate. Now, that's what that means. And so you ought to expect, if you come here, that we're going to do Catholic stuff. We're going to have religion classes. We're going to have events that involve expressing our Catholic faith. 
Okay, so that's what it means to have a Catholic school be evangelistic. We want to be open to everybody, and we can influence people by being salt, light, and leaven, by welcoming them into these Catholic school halls. What's the challenge? The challenge is, simply put, if the majority of kids are not consciously, intentionally living their Catholic faith in a way that is enthusiastic, encouraged, and leads to them flourishing, then they will be influenced— no, wait a minute, they will be swept away and overwhelmed by the dominant culture that the majority of kids carry into the halls, which is a close proximity to the dominant modes of culture present in today's society. And so the typical expectation that you should have for a Catholic school hall is that it's going to look a lot like TikTok videos or Instagram posts. It's going to be more influenced by the dominant modes of culture that are present on social media platforms and in the wider society than it will reflect a truly Catholic Christian environment. And it's because of the nature of the Catholic school. It's just open to everyone. And being open to everyone self-identifying conscious Catholics find themselves embattled, embattled to live their faith. I know this. <laughs> I know this from, a, I don't want to say a hundred stories. It's way more than a hundred stories of parents with kids in Catholic schools over the last 20 years, and especially over the last four years, that evangelistic open Catholic schools are dominantly influenced by the world, much more so than by the faith. And so be prepared for the battle. Now, part of what's going to help with this is the next question. Oh, by the way, there's an alternative, by the way. There's an alternative idea about how a faith-based school, how a Catholic school or a school in the Catholic tradition can open its doors. Okay, you can have a a school that is operating in the Catholic tradition, a faith-based tradition, a Christian tradition, say, we are not evangelistic. Our first focus is not evangelizing. It's discipling. Now, when you say that the first focus is discipling, what that means is that we are not just wide open to have any family join the school. We are wide open to have every family come and see. And then let's discern together whether there's a right fit. And so a discipleship-based school is one that says, here's our profession of faith. Do you believe this? Can you sign on to this? It's not just that you're coming to an environment that's impacted by it. No, 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 no. This is our conscious, intentional activity that we are pursuing in this school. We are going and making disciples in the halls, on the walls, in the classrooms, as the teachers do the teaching, as we live our life we are making disciples. Men and women who glorify Christ, shape culture, and shine the light of God's truth in every endeavor of life. That's what we're doing in these halls. So discipleship-based schools are something that today are not the norm in your typical Catholic school. Schools that have recovered this are often classically a classical methodology-based schools. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. 
but it's often the school that shifts the mode of of teaching and the curriculum into one that is in a classical methodology because it has a greater sense of flow of intentionality that you can connect to the concept of discipleship. So find out, find out. Okay, question number three. I'm asking 10 questions. Uh, I'm giving you, I'm equipping you with 10 questions to ask your Catholic school or whatever school you're going to, what the principal, administrator, or teacher is saying. Here's the next one. What percent of the faculty is Catholic? What percent of the faculty is Catholic? This is really important because you can go to a Catholic school that might have a Catholic principal, have a principal that's Catholic, but you might find that, guess what? The teachers are not all Catholic. Or um, or if they are Catholic, are they practicing the faith? That would be a, another question. And again, it's one of those more probe a little bit deeper. What percent are faithful to the church's teaching? That would be a really good one to discover. Like, where does your faculty stand? Where do your teachers stand on key issues like, just say pro-life, pro-life issues? And, and here's why I bring this one up. I bring this one up because um, when my kids were at a Catholic high school and they are very pro-life, they would find themselves in classroom arguments where the great majority of kids were identifying as pro-abortion. Oh yeah, we're absolutely pro-choice, we're pro-abortion, we're not pro-life. And, and my kids would be like, wait a minute, why do I feel like I'm not only on the defensive, I'm like completely outnumbered by the, by the voices who are attempting to shout me down as being somehow hateful, uh, intolerant, closed-minded, uh, and wrong on the issue of life. And this is in a Catholic high school. Wait a minute. How is this happening? And what are the teachers doing to help foster a Catholic understanding of the gospel of life and the Catholic Church's teaching and why it's good, true, and beautiful, beautiful about life and that it ought to be promoted? So find out. Find out. Tell me about the faculty. Tell me about the practice of their faith. Tell me about they, their own uh, willingness to adhere to and uh, promote and stand with the church in the church's teaching. I know there are a couple of Catholic schools that what they will do is they'll have their um, teachers take an oath of fidelity to the magisterium of the church. And they're doing that not because they're required to, but because colleges or universities that want to have a mandate that is supported by the Vatican regarding the, the reality that they are authentic Catholic institutions will have their teachers take an oath of fidelity. Um, I was really privileged to be at the taking of the oath of fidelity of the faculty at the Court of Christ Academy in Coeur d'Alene. It was really beautiful. They got up there and they said it out loud and they said it with a sense of with uh, vigor. They weren't like hemming and hawing and grumbling that this was something that they had to do. No, they wanted to do that. They, they were like, we are here to present vigorously and joyfully and passionately the fullness of the Catholic faith. That's what you want in your Catholic school faculty. So find out, do they take an oath of fidelity? What do you think about that idea? Is that something that you'd support? If you're not doing it, why aren't you doing it? 
great questions to ask. Okay, number four. So this is kind of a, a nuance on question number three. What percent of the faculty is male? Now, how interesting is that? <laughs> what percent of the faculty is male? Uh, you might remember, I, I was talking about this in the past week, the idea of having good male role models of godliness is a huge blessing, but a rarity in your typical faith-based school. Your typical Catholic school has a very few male teachers. And there's a, there's a normal explanation, and that is it's not sustainable if this man is married, has kids, and wants to afford a home to live in, that a Catholic school uh, salary is just not going to be sustainable for the typical teacher. Even Catholic high school salaries are going to be difficult for teachers who are men who have a lot of kids and want to do something like own a house. They have to hustle and do side side hustles and other work, and and oftentimes the spouse has to juggle, the wife has to juggle to to make ends meet. Um, but that's a battle. What percent of the faculty is male? You want good, strong male role models of godliness, and I'm saying that you know it's not like many schools have even near to half being male. But find out. It's an awesome gift for your son to have godly men listening to them pray, talking about godliness, talking about growing in holiness, and being real men walking the halls of their schools. I have that blessing right now. It's a huge blessing in my boy's life and in my girl's life. But seek that out. Find out what percent of the faculty is male. Okay, that's the fourth question. Okay, I got one more question, time for one more question before I go to the break. And that is, what is your policy about technology? What is your policy around technology? And this, there are two parts to this question. Part one is, what's your policy around smartphones? The use of smartphones, the presence of smartphones on campus and being used during the school day. And let me just say that schools are typically way behind. We think of we tend to think of technology as okay, it's an innovation, it's cutting edge, like let's go, we want more of it, we want the latest, greatest and best and all of that. We'll talk about technology in the system in a moment. But technology in the hands of kids, it's a terrible idea. Parents, one of the most incredible gifts that you could get from your Catholic school, from the school where your kids attend, is to have a policy that says, don't even bother taking that phone, if you have one, out of your locker. It's in your locker during the school day, or it's down the office and can be picked up at the end of the school day. You do not need your smartphone. You don't need to access it. Don't want to see it? doesn't get used, or it gets taken away. Now, let me tell you one fundamentally important reason why that would be such a gift to you. It would help you establish better guidelines, better guardrails around the presence and use of smartphones in your home. If you have a school that has 
strong limitations and boundaries around presence and use of smartphones, they're giving you an incredible gift. Seek that out. And it would be a great question. What is your policy? Why do you implement it? Have you considered taking it further? Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. I'm talking about 10 questions. This is that time of year where a lot of parents are thinking about, where's my kid going to go to school next year? Um, you've gotten through the first semester. It's just ending, and you're like, okay, maybe it's time to rethink where ought my kids to go next year. Carrie and I do this. We discern every year, each kid, okay, what's the best place for them? Is he flourishing? Is she flourishing is there a better option? What ought we to do? And so, um, so, but you'd want to ask questions as you're, as you're discerning, not just of yourself, but of the schools where your kids are attending and where they might attend. And so what that policy is about, about technology, I men mentioned, again, it has two forms. The first one is smartphones are introducing nightmares and just such destruction into kids' lives. I've talked about it how many times on this program. So if you could have a school that supports your ideals, go there quickly, run there. So that's, that's technology being used at the school in terms of um, smartphone use. Okay, what about technology in terms of the actual class activities? I want to say less is more. Less is more. Please don't, please don't think that being at a school where each kid is given an iPad or some uh, Surface or is going to need a laptop to be able to function is a good thing. It's just not. You do not want your kids being glued to screens for the majority of their day or have to rely on screens for the majority of their day. When the kids get home, if they have to write a paper on a laptop, let them do it in the, in the room that's common. Not, don't, don't, don't let the kids take the laptops into the bedrooms. So if there's going to be technology use around the, um, around the, the school, uh, in terms of the, the school homework and all of that, okay, fine. But that's, we, we're going to move beyond that to saying that's different than technology put into your, hand, your kids' hands is an integral part of what they're doing. That is just, that is a mistake. It, it has 95 ways to go badly and only five ways to go right. So I guess I could have said one in 19. <laughs> 19 ways to go badly and only one way to get it right. You get the idea. Okay, that's my fifth question. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you 10 questions to ask the school that you're interviewing to be your partner in forming your child to be that young man or woman of God that you intend them to be, that your goal is to have them be. You want your schools on board with that. Do you notice I didn't talk anything yet about academics, like how academically rigorous they are? I haven't talked about athletics, like how good is their athletic program? What opportunities are they going to get to go pro? Your kid's not going pro. Your kid is not going pro, all right? Just be done. Your kid's not going. Your kid is almost assuredly not going to get a college scholarship. They're just not that good. And if they were to get a scholarship, it's probably going to be a partial scholarship to a Division three school, and probably not the school that you want your kid going to. 
So I didn't put the great emphasis. How do I really feel about this, huh? <laughs> you sense the energy there? All right. I'm talking about, you see what I'm talking about so far? Technology. Okay, here's another one. Sixth question. I got 10 questions. Well, the sixth question is, what's your policy around dress code? What's your policy around dress code? This is so important. This is so important for a few reasons. The first reason is modesty. Modesty. How you dress sends a message. How you dress sends a message. It's not a matter of, am I trying to send a message? Am I wanting to send a message? What message am I sending? No. You are sending a message by how you dress. And one of the battles that we face, and one of the battles, dads, where you are asked to protect your kids, that's both your sons and your daughters, is by how they're dressing and by the environment that they're going to be in where other kids are dressed immodestly. Do you hear what I just said? It's not just about you establishing a strong code of modesty in your own home. Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely that. But if your kid is then hanging around in a place that is predominantly immodest or permittedly immodest, this is not helpful. This is dangerous. This is harmful and can lead to lots of sin. And so ask about the dress code. Ask, you know, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what happens when kids break that dress code. And you want to find out. You want to find out. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Carrie went to uh, a basketball game of the Chesterton Academy uh, last week and just wanted to support uh, the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame. Again, they're a classical Catholic high school here in... They're the only, they're the only Catholic, authentically Catholic high school option in, in the Diocese of Spokane. And uh, so she went to support them. Our, uh, we had a daughter graduate in the first graduating class of, uh, of uh, Chesterton Academy. Totally support it. Check it out. You got to check it out. So they, she was going to one of their basketball games, and she was like, oh, I'm so glad my kids are not being regularly exposed on a daily basis or daily, daily exposed to the kind of immodesty that is present in that public school. Not, it, it was the school they were playing, right? The school they were playing. It's just like, oh my goodness. The way those girls were dressed was just, it was offensive. And so it's something to, to find out about, dress code. Okay, the, the second reason is this. When you have a dress code, it's not just a matter of, um, of immodesty versus modesty. It, it can also be a means of um, who's in and who's out, who's cool and who's not, who has money or means and who doesn't in terms of style and fashion. And so that just creates all kinds of comparison, contrasting, envy, jealousy, and uh, and social measurement that is just filled with anxiety, stress, and pressure. Kids don't need it. Kids don't need it. Find out about this stuff. Because there's an option. 
uniforms. Do you know how much uniforms save? And do you know how much uniforms promote? Uniforms save a ton of time, a ton of money, <laughs> and reduce 95% of that anxiety and pressure because now it's no longer about style and who's in and who's out. And you know what it also does? It takes away that whole who has means to look more stylish than the other because they're dressed in uniforms. Oh, and guess what? These uniforms are modest. And it also gives them a sense of you dress for the occasion. Dressing is connected to a role. You have to dress in your uniform if you're going to go play a sport or if you're in a lab, you, there's a certain clothes that are fitting for that. So there's a such thing as clothes being suitable or fitting for an environment. And that's their future. That's where the kids are headed, to work settings where you're going to have to dress for the occasion. You might as well get them accustomed to that in the school. Let them learn to dress in a way that is fitting. And even, you know what, get them to enjoy getting dressed up. It's a beautiful habit to foster. What is your dress code? And ask them, have you ever considered uniforms? At the high school level. High school level. Why or why not? What did you learn? Why is it important to you? Okay. So that is number six. Hey, I'm gonna, I am going to get through this. This is so exciting to me. Today on the program, I'm talking about 10 questions uh, to ask your Catholic school principal, the, the school where your kids are attending or might be attending, to find out how well they are fulfilling their role to co-labor with you in raising your children to be godly young men and women who are discerning their call to holiness and how to live it, striving to be saints, and wanting to live the God-given mission that he has planted them for. When we come back, I've got the final four questions. Just you wait. You're going to enjoy them. Back in a minute. What more sound inside? Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. There's so much at stake in our kids' lives, and there's so much at stake in their lives, especially between seventh grade and uh, the end of their high school years, that you want to make sure that wherever your kids are going to school, that you're going to get a worthy partner who co-labors with you because of the predominant and dominant influence that this school environment is going to have in your kids' lives. You don't want to get that wrong. Okay, so I mentioned that there are 10 questions I'm covering today um, that you should be asking your school principal. Uh, the first one was, 
What's the, what's the vision and mission you have? Hopefully it's to become saints. Second is what percentage of families is Catholic or the student body is Catholic? And then what, what amount of them are going to Mass on Sunday? Give me your best sense. And then what percent of the faculty is Catholic? And are they faithfully Catholic? Do they take an oath of fidelity? Uh, number four, what percent of the faculty is male? You want to have good male role models for the young men and women that are there, but especially for the men. Number five, what is your policy around technology? Less is better. Number six, what is your policy about dress code? And I just talked about that, the importance of modesty and how you want to foster that as well as taking away the stress and anxiety of comparing and envy and jealousy. Okay, number seven, what's your policy about dating? What's your policy about dating? You might be thinking, what? What are you talking about? Why would a school even have any involvement in that? No, you can have that. In fact, the kids with the high school where our kids are are at, there's a no dating policy. They didn't say, We forbid you to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but rather we forbid you to act like a boyfriend and a girlfriend when you're on campus. When you're on campus, you don't get to isolate yourselves. You don't get to couple up. You don't get to um, be in a sense of a closed relationship. No, when you're here, you're here in the group and you remain a member of the group. There is no dating on campus. And you might think to yourself, that's not possible. No, it's it's actually happening. It's it's something I've seen now for three years. And it's not something that is, oh, there's all this grumbling and this is terrible and it's ruining my life. No, <laughs> it is so freeing. Do you know how much energy it empties out of the hall? How much energy it empties out of the ordinary social settings where my kids are? at school, at sporting events, um, when they're at friends' homes, how it empties so much of that sexualized energy that is present in your typical Catholic school. So you want to find out from your Catholic school or whatever school that your kids are attending, what is your policy about dating? Now, just be ready (laughs) because they're going to look at you saying, what are you talking about? Is going to be their typical answer. But That's changing. You'll find in, again, these smaller classical faith-based schools like the Aquinas Classical Academy in Bremerton, like the Chesterton Academy in in Spokane, like the Oaks in Spokane Valley, like the Court of Christ Classical Academy, uh, Classical Catholic Academy in in Coeur d'Alene, that, no, no, they take a thoughtful approach, approach that's engaged with the parents, and one that is uh, in- involving the kids. So, what is your policy about dating? All right. Number eight, what is your policy about dances? And you, again, you got to be saying to yourself, what are you talking about? Well, here's your typical high school, Catholic high school dance. There's a lot of balloons and candy and flowers in some special way that um, the boy is going to ask the girl, or the girl asks the boy, will you go to the prom with me? Will you go to um, the the um, homecoming dance with me. Uh, and and then at the dance itself, it tends to be in a darkened room with the most current popular music of the time. Uh, parents are really not allowed unless they're chaperoning. And let's just say that the amount of dancing that would be considered immodest, impure, uh, and just inappropriate is 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 the expectation. That's the norm. And not to mention that the 
uh, typical, it's a typical thing that dresses, uh, the manner of dress would be amazingly immodest. I, I guess those two words don't really go together very well, but routinely immodest. And so that's, and you might think to yourself, well, there's, there's really no other option. And I'm going to, where's my buzzer? Let me hit the buzzer. That's just not true. That's just not true. Uh, here's a, um, example number one. Last Saturday, my boys uh, went to their, uh, what would have been considered their uh, homecoming dance. They called it the protocol. And they dressed up in very classy jackets and ties and um, showed up. Uh, they had a date. It wasn't a date. It was, it was a young lady that they were going to escort. But they didn't even know who it was till they got there. And they were assigned the woman they would escort. And they then went up to the woman. They said, I have the privilege of escorting you. Let me take you to the table. And they didn't go to the table with their friends. They went to the table they were assigned at. And at that table, there was a senior with the senior's escort, the boy and the girl, then a, a junior couple, a sophomore couple, and a freshman couple. So you mix the four grades of the high school together. Uh, the grades of the high school are together. Sorry, the seniors and juniors and sophomores. Uh, so it was those three grades uh, mixed together at a table. And they were intentionally placed to be able to not have the cliques, the groups, the, the, the kids that were um, going to be easily entertaining all in one place. No, they mixed the kids together to create the maximum enjoyment for all. Oh, but by the way, they had a formal, a formal meal. But they were taught in an etiquette uh, class how to eat a formal meal. So they had a formal meal. And it was the older kids, the seniors' responsibility to facilitate a conversation that involved all of the kids. So now you have younger grades engaging with older grades. You had an engaging conversation where the older kids had to up their game and be the leaders in the school at that table. And then they did have dancing. You know what that dancing was? It was swing dancing. And they were taught how to swing dance. So they had modest dancing, appropriate dancing, in with kids who are not coupling up, where they were sitting at tables that were not cliquish, where they had the honor of a, ma a young man escorting a young woman. And by the way, parents were welcome to come. Not a dark room. Parents, you're, you're a threat to our good time. That happened three days ago. It's happening. And it can happen. And it ought to happen. What's your policy about dances? You just want to find out. Okay, number nine. Two other questions here. Where is your list of clubs and extracurricular activities? Where's your list? Do, I, do you have a list of clubs and extracurricular activities? And here's the reason why. You want to see what not only the school is promoting, right, and, and what they're promoting will show up on that list in terms of some of the clubs and some of the extracurricular activities, but you also want to see what they are permitting. Uh, St. Bonaventure says that the measure of a leader is not as much found in what they do, but in what they allow, what they permit. And so you want to look on that list of permitted clubs and maybe sadly even promoted clubs, clubs that are promoting things that are undermining the human vitality, the sexual identity, or the faith life of the student body. And so when you see clubs that are promoting gender ideology that is destroying kids' lives, and it's finally coming out, 
detransitioners having a, a voice and having a space to say, I have no idea how I was swindled into this, why this was permitted, why I was permitted to do this, why I was promoted to do this, but it's destroyed my life. Please stop this. Don't let this happen. And yet we schools are some, most, many Catholic high schools are either promoting or permitting these kind of groups. Is that life-giving? Is that what you want for your kids? Find out. Last question. Again, 10 questions to ask your Catholic school principal, especially, at the, again, at the high school level, but also the grade school, uh, the high school level. Um, number 10. Are there vocations coming from your graduates? Tell me about your graduates. Don't tell me the percent that are going on to college. Okay? Don't tell me the percent uh, that are, uh, you know, headed towards that only, right? Not only that, but how many of these kids are doing missionary work or discerning vocations to priesthood and the religious life are seeking colleges that are on the Newman list of colleges, right? Don't, don't tell me how many kids are going to Ivy League schools. Tell me how many are going to Newman's list schools, and, and when I say Newman's List schools, I'm talking about the list of Catholic colleges that promote their Catholic, their fidelity to the fullness of the Catholic faith uh, as their front and center mission. That's what we want to see, because we want our kids graduating from whatever high school they're at to have a sense of momentum towards a Catholic college that is going to further those same kind of ideals and goals in your kids' lives. This is an enormous effort, and this might require a deep, strong sacrifice and courage on your part, not only to have the, the conversations, but then to make decisions about those conversations that are going to best lead your young son and daughter to life, to a life of faith, to be a manly and godly man and woman. All right, end of my program. Join me tomorrow for more sound insight.